Hello? Hey, Janaya. Okay, the music stopped. Okay, it was like, yep. wait. Okay. Beautiful. Yep. Okay. So I'm going to take a pause and then we can start with the intros and just get right into the podcast. Cool. Okay. All right. Wait, I'm sorry. Do I start now? <laughs> okay, we'll start at 40 seconds, okay? Okay. Okay. My name is Janaya Douglas. I'm a sophomore art history major, curatorial studies minor. Hi, my name is Joe Russell, and I am a sophomore English major, film and visual culture, culture minor. Hi, um, my name is Stephanie Crawford. I'm a sophomore documentary filmmaking major, film studies and visual culture minor. And this is our final project um, podcast for cinema literacy. So Janelle's going to kick us off with a introduction of one of our films. Yay! Yes. So today we'll be discussing two films. The first film is Cheryl Dunye's 1996 film, The Watermelon Woman. The Watermelon Woman is about Black lesbians lost in the cinematic archive. We enter the main character, Cheryl's all-lesbian community as she tries to document the life of a Black lesbian entertainer named Faye. Awesome. And our second film is called Set It Off by director Gary Gray, and it was filmed in 1996. Set It Off is an action film that Kara Keeling describes as ghetto-centric. Um, mainly because it functions within a gangster rap music video context. And in this film, our Black working class protagonists are all liberated through this lens. All right. So for our reading that is kind of guiding our conversation is Kara Keeling's article, um, What's Up With That? She Don't Talk, Set It Off's Black Lesbian Butch Femme in the Black Femme Function. So this reading is part of her, um, it's part of a larger work. Um, and basically Keeling describes how the cinematic structures um, like racism, homophobia, all impact our, our viewing experience. And this, and view this, and through this process, it denies the viewers um, access to certain images and basically ways of understanding and knowing. So um, part of this conversation that she kind of, that she brings up is um, something called the Black Film Function. And basically the Black Film Function is a um, Black film who signals alternative racialized desires and intimacies that live outside of the film. And Keeling suggests that it's perhaps non-legible to a white and or straight gaze. And basically she argues that silence is a, um, a characteristic of the Black film function. So yes, Janai is gonna, or Diop is gonna take us into um, one of our first modes of conversation, oppressive silence versus productive silence. So go ahead, take it away. Yes. So first, we're going to start by just um, defining our terms. Within this discussion, we're going to be talking about how um, Black films in Set It Off and in The Watermelon Woman um, negotiate this Black film function through silence. 
So first, we're going to start by defining productive silence. So productive silence calls for pause, rest, understanding, and reflection. It's um, the state that you're in when you don't have to contest or explain your identity. It is understood and you can be validated. On the other hand, oppressive silence um, severs all possibilities uh, for response. It's as if your identity is constantly being debated um, and assumptions are being projected about you without your ability to talk back. So in The Watermelon Woman, Faye experiences both oppressive and productive silence. She experiences oppressive silence when she is shown in a relationship with Martha, pa Martha Page, who is a director of one of the films that Faye was an actress in, where she played the Watermelon Woman. And she experiences oppressive silence because she's literally in a relationship with someone who is depicting their own version of how they want the viewers of whoever is watching the film to view Faye as an actress. She also experiences oppressive silence when um, Cheryl goes and interviews Martha Page's sister asking about their relationship and Martha Page's sister actually denies that Martha Page was in a lesbian relationship with Faye. And I say that it's oppressive silence because I feel like um, there's also parameters that she has to go around with not even being able to fully be out and control how she is viewed by others or even validated by others. Yeah, so like you're saying, Faye has to, Faye's identity is definitely um, contained. And um, there is also just some level of, um, some level of policing going on. I, I think with Faye in the, um, okay, <laughs> I don't know. We're gonna, we're gonna keep moving and edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, yeah, okay. <laughs> but, I mean, getting to your point that you're saying, like, the policement of her identity. I mean, she's literally giving a name that she didn't even want for herself, a prerogative, like, or a name that's not even true to who she is. Like, the watermelon woman, that's just, like, fueled with stereotypes just to begin with. And, mm -hmm. you know, even when Cheryl, um, which is the protagonist in the film, as she's trying to find any just kernels of um, information about the Waterman woman or, um, or um, Faye, she always has to look um, for her in conjunction with Martha or um, mm -hmm. yeah, with Martha and with Paige. And so mm -hmm. it, it's not until she was able to go in the like the black archive of of black lesbians was she able to even find Faye's name like she was like the watermelon woman is always like kind of it, it's Faye but it's Faye silence it's not really her someone else's construction exactly of her which is always kind of like this subservient kind of being it's not even a full full person who's able to articulate their own desires, their own desire to say that, um, I don't want to be in this kind of box or in this part. And it's, mm -hmm. you know, tied to this white woman who just wants to go make 
movies and who really doesn't care about Faye or whatever. And also, yeah. oh, you can go do that. Okay. So I was just going to add on to Steph's point. Um, I think the watermelon woman or Faye, as she shows up in film, I think that's pretty um, symbolic of what you were talking about. Um, she, Faye has to suspend, you know, the fullness of her humanity as a black woman. And she has to play caricatures of black women when she's, um, when she's acting as a mammy throughout Martha Page's, Page's film. I think that's also another form of oppressive silence because um, Faye has to show up in these roles and completely um, like disregard and as- ascend to like this stereotype, even though her identity is complex and it has so many different intricacies. Mm-hmm. Um, Steph, your point made me think about when you mentioned her Cheryl actually having go having to go to a black archive or actual black person who was living um, during the times that Faye was alive and as an entertainer, it made me think about um, how our voices as black women are also silenced in death, like after we pass, because even in her remembrance in the archive, her own perception, her own self-definition was not present. Like even after she passed, she was still only seen in the light of Martha Page, which is a white woman who basically controlled her acting career. Hmm. Oh, very, very true. Well, to the on on the upside of someone who's actually controlling her career to actually someone who enhanced it and actually grew it, I think that's where we see more of the productive silence. And um, we see this productive silence in Faye's relationship with June, who actually is a Black woman. And basically in this time period in her life, um, in the film, we get to see uh, just different images or some video of her just you know, performing where, where she would like to perform, but also just being in this loving relationship. We don't get a whole lot of details what it's like, but I think even without having those details, just the images that you're shown, um, it almost gets like a privacy to them in a way. It's like we as the audience don't need to know all the details of this very complex and clearly loving relationship. And even um, June, who was going to, um, you know, have an interview and a conversation about um, her relationship with Faye in the film that she ends up dying. So we really don't get to hear those uh, those examples, or I want to say examples, but those details about the nature of rela- of their relationship. We only just see images, and I think in a way that that's kind of beautiful because you know we don't have to enter in and zoom in on how their relationship was, how it was constructed, who did this, who did that. No, we just let them to simply be, we just let simply to have their privacy that, you know, they wanted. They didn't put their relationship out on blast, but those who know, knew, and those who didn't, didn't. And I don't think it's really up to anyone to dictate that, oh, we must see this or we must be included in that. Why not? This is their space Mm -hmm. and they get to be who they are and we can just let that be, let people live. I think, I think that's a really interesting point. 
something that I'm playing with is how um, how Cheryl, she, you know, she doesn't question or she doesn't really hesitate to talk about Faye and Martha Page's interracial relationship, but um, June and Faye's relationship, um, there is some hesitation. There is some thought there. You were talking about how um, how it's nice to know that June and Faye can maintain their privacy and comfort within that. But um, Cheryl, she talks about how she wants this film, the biography of Watermelon Woman, to be kind of representational and inspirational. Um, June, earlier in the film, before um, Cheryl introduces the biography, she talks about how, like, how rude it would be to talk about a Black woman and then center a white woman this all of this makes me think about like the validity and the power of maybe discussing um june and Faye's relationship what do you guys how do you guys feel about that like i think it would be a little more powerful uh to discuss june and Faye's relationship yeah, I can definitely agree with you on that point. You know, because we have, I mean, in the film in general, and even in the fictional documentary inside of the film, there is a lot more time, you know, dedicated towards, you know, Martha and Faye's relationship with her than the relationship with June, which is, you know, kind of it's sad in a way it's like why do we have to focus so much on the oppression and uh, of this hurt in this woman and, and not the positive aspects in her life where she was just able to be herself she wasn't a construction of somebody's mind or you know made or fastened in a way that was appealing to others she could just you know be herself in the fact that in the film that's not highlighted or even um, in an in-story universe where there was that opportunity to discuss that more, you know, in depth, but that was really, it, 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 you know, it passed away in the film. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's unfortunate. And I think it kind of, it kind of goes back to, I think this kind of, I will say, I don't want to use the wrong words, but it's 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 connecting back to just historical um, archive that we do have of Black lesbians. It's like we know they existed. We know that they're there. It's kind of this productive silence because it is silenced. It will it is private. So all those relationships that were there are in their own sphere. They're in their own communities, and they were just shared between two people. But it also there's there's so much nuance there was so much of that love that as the public we're not able to really see we only are able to see the tragedies and the you know people being you know hidden or you know people not able to articulate their love but we're not able to see the historic moment of you know mm -hmm. actual love actual positive relationships they we know they existed we know they're there but 
they're never really articulated. So I guess that could be the other side to that productive silence. Yes, it gives them that intimacy. Yes, it gives them that privacy, but in a way that it, you don't, you don't really hear the positive. You don't really need to hear the fruit of that. I, of that. I have two things that I was thinking about as you were speaking. I was thinking about, um, I guess, phase experiences with productive silence in the way, in the definition that we've provided productive silence, which is because like she is shown with other queer, lesbian, black women um, during her time as an entertainer, she doesn't really need to speak to validate herself because her existence is already validated in a way. Um, and I also thought about, um, I, the, I guess your conversations and your points around how it's disappointing or frustrating to see that most of Faye's narrative was centered around Martha Page. I also believe that was intentional from Cheryl doing it as a director to kind of shed light to the audiences um, to show like, we didn't even realize, I guess like, well, I'll speak from my own experience. I didn't even realize that we were still centering a white woman in the conversation of Faye because it's so normalized for white people to be centered in black narratives. And that's even seen today with movies like The Green Book and things like that. Um, but yeah, also, I think it's intentional for her to have that scene with June to even like wake up the audience to say like, hey, I know that I've been saying that I'm doing this in the name of black women and I'm doing this in the name of the black lesbian narrative. But during this whole film, I've been centering a white woman to describe Faye and not Faye describing herself. So I think it's frustrating, but I also think it was intentional as director, but frustrating as show the character and not show the director. Nice. So now we can um, enter a discussion about Set It Off. And I think we've come to a consensus, a consensus that um, Ursula, she's not really engaging with productive silence. Um, and I came to that conclusion because set it off again, it is operating in a gangster rap, black heteronormative context um, where Ursula can't really experience mm -hmm. freedom. Um, and this is mainly because like we see in the film, Stoney, Frankie, Antishan, they turn their heads whenever they see her. They're posing rhetorical questions like, why doesn't, why doesn't she talk? Um, they're doing that in the same exact way that NWA does it in their song, A Bitch is a Bitch, where it's, not really an invitation for you to explain yourself, but a way to um, kind of just, I would say mock or make someone feel uncomfortable. They aren't engaging or inviting her to speak. These moments, whenever the other girls interact with um, Ursula, are moments for them to um, project their assumptions.
Um, also going off of Kara Keeling's use of ghetto, ghetto centric common sense. Um, I thought about in the conversation of Ursula experiencing oppressive silence. I feel like she is also oppressed in terms of her being, well, I wouldn't say she's oppressed, but let me figure out the language that I want to use. Would you say like marginalized, silenced? Yes, there it is, silence, that's the word. I would say that Ursula is silenced in the ghetto-centric common sense of set it off and in the, what Diop described as like gangsta film narrative. Um, I think she's silenced also because of her only being there to be a highly feminine video vixen to support Cleo, to validate Cleo's butchness and masculinity. And I was thinking, this is a example of oppressive silence because if Ursula was not highly feminine and she wasn't, if she wasn't highly feminine and validated only for her femininity and not for her lesbian experience, if she was more gender fluid, as we saw in the Waterman Woman with Faye, then she would not actually exist in the ghetto centric gay. She would not exist and set it off because she was only there to validate um, Cleo's masculinity, which is, like I said, another form of oppressive silence. It's not a, a silence of choice. There's nothing productive about it. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I think also, so off your point that um, Ursula definitely does secure Cleo's, like, um, Black femininity and masculinity. Um, She does this in a way um, because we are operating in this, like, gangster rap music video context. Most of these video vixens are silenced. Um, Most of these video vixens um, are there to support, silently support their male partners. And Ursula just kind of falls into that same tradition. To me, I kind of, um, I view Ursula as a ride or die chick, someone who is going to be by Cleo's side until the very end. And there, um, and, um, Ursula's existence is closely tied to Cleo. Without Cleo, there is no Ursula. We don't see her. There isn't a reason for the camera to come and meet her to see how she's doing. Um, So once Cleo dies, um, we see the end of Ursula's narrative. Kara Keeling makes this really great point that um, the radical nature of Ursula unfolds off screen, off camera, because we get to see if Set It Off was operating in a different context, like in a lesbian world like the Watermelon Woman, we would be able to see how Ursula grapples with her Black lesbian and femme identity no that is true because one thing at the end of the film you don't really see a 
a lot of time for mourning of these characters. I mean, just any any of the few um, of the women characters in the film in general. The only person who really mourns the death, um, they say after like those moments, um, is is it Stony? Am I saying it right? I might be mixing. It. Yeah, Stony. So mm-hmm. she's the only who really mourns the death, you know, of these characters, and. You know what you're saying with you know with Ursula, we do get you know a shed of a tear and a cry, you know, from her. And I think in Keeling's essay, she does say that like you know the fact that she, that she did cry for Cleo is that you're saying this is like it kind of moves beyond like a video vixen that only just like is there for eye candy and doesn't really show any type of emotion or any type of real kind of human connection <laughs> to her kind of um to the main star of the video but the fact that she did cry or you get this morning kind of you get this morning for cleo shows what killing said is that there is something beyond what the scope of the movie was even was even going to show that there was something that they had that couldn't really be pronounced or really see on screen and even the moments that we did see on screen it was almost kind of cut away or undercut Mm-hmm. Their, you know, shows of intimacy or love was always shown in some kind of disgust. So whether it be where the first time or Ursula was introduced on screen, you know, her and Cleo kiss, but the other three main characters kind of turn away and disgust and the camera cuts. So you're not able to see the full kiss or even when the girls walk in into like, I think the garage and they're doing whatever I don't know what they were doing but they were doing whatever <laughs> and everybody <laughs> was like coming in they're like oh my gosh hey, what are y'all doing da, 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 da. so everything is constantly undercut when it does come to them so even if we do get these little glimpses of um that kind of elsewhere world it's always interrupted and met with disgust mm-hmm. yeah I think what we can all agree on is that at the end of set it off Ursula, she may be mourning for Cleo, but she's also mourning for community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In the film, she can only um, be radical in places elsewhere, outside of this set-it-off world. But the watermelon woman models that you can your radical potential can unfold when you have other people in your communities that make you feel comfortable that nurture your queerness Mm -hmm. these things are all possibilities but um they just can't happen under a black masculine hip-hop context um yeah i completely agree with what you said diop which is why i had reservations towards keeling's argument of um viewing characters outside of film and how radical like her silence is because it goes outside of a white gaze and a straight gaze. Um, but I agree with what you said, Diop. I don't know how radical it can be if we can't even see it, if we can't visualize it, which is the point of film. Like, film has the power to perpetuate or defy or liberate different tropes and images of people. And the fact that we still see a Black femme lesbian that silence, um, I don't really know what how radical it is. And I don't know if it's non-legible I don't believe that it's non-legible because we can't see it you know and I think now because I think 
now set it off as what 20 years old so we've gotten like a deluge of other films that we've seen Definitely. even in the same year 1996 we get another film where they live in an entire world where it's just black lesbians mm -hmm. or just lesbians and so i think it's it's a time where you don't have to look off screen you don't have to re look in the subtext of what we saw in the celluloid closet where they just had to look for the subtext and just get that no you can really just get what you need to get on screen anymore. And I think as time moves along and as, you know, the mainstream is more willing and accepting of more images, I think sometimes just the off screen, you don't really need that anymore. That's not as radical anymore. We can really have it right in front of you. You can just say what you need to say. And Cheryl Dunye, she, um, she actually goes against that. Like she disrupts the idea of, kind of the themes that we see in the celluloid closet and the idea that you only have to look a little bit because she emerges and centers an entire world around the black lesbian experience. And I believe the watermelon woman and set it off came out in the same year, which also speaks to mm -hmm. like still the power of film It's the power of what a writer and director can do. If these films came out at the same time, but you still have critics like Kara Keeling trying to argue how radical um, it is for her to be off screen when we see a film where we can see everything on screen. And I feel like that's the real radicalness about it. And that's the real like productive silence. Yeah. Well, thank you all for listening to our discussion of Set It Off and The Watermelon Woman. We hope you all enjoyed and you go in peace. Thank, thank you. Thank you.